Welcome back to The Cypher, a series of conversations with creators from the Black diaspora who are leaning into their roots to create spaces for all of us to be our best selves. I'm your host, Christabel Nsiapwadi. On today's show, we take you all the way back to where this show started. Yep, I'm going to play the very first episode of The Cypher, which was back then called Deciphered. This episode was really, really personal to me. I was speaking to the London-born, Lagos-raised bassist and composer Michael Olatuja, who is now, by the way, based in the United States. Talk about traveling. I was really honored to have him on as my first guest. We had worked together uh, in a previous capacity. Believe it or not, I was a backing singer for a wonderful musician called Wumi, who has a new song out right now. You should check it out. Um, And he was a bassist as part of her band as well. And so I asked him to come on because I wanted him to talk about his new album at the time, which was called Lagos Pepper Soup. And I also wanted to talk to him about his expansive career in music, maybe because I just think he's a really, really talented guy. Now, I'm sure all of you remember how intense 2020 was for so many of us. And this conversation took place right just as BLM protests and COVID-19 were at their peak all over the world. For me, this conversation was extra intense because it was just a few months after my father, who I was extremely close to, died. And I shared my grief in my conversation with Michael, who in turn opened up about channeling his mother's memory in everything from his music to his exploits in the kitchen. And his words helped some of the deep pain that I was feeling in that moment. He talked about looking at pain as a catalyst that forces us all to face some harsh realities, to come face to face with those difficult emotions, but continue to create as your outlet towards, I don't know, your destiny, the person that you're supposed to be. He talked about using that pain to create something that was at least something that was, you know, better than before. Because it's personal after all. Sounds good, doesn't it? Take a listen. Michael, who is an amazing musician, uh, toured with another amazing musician, Wumi. I also toured with her, but I am not an amazing musician. I'm just someone who can hold a note <laughs> here or there. But they let me join them. Um, while they uh, did amazing stuff. So yes, in another world, I was I was Wumi's backing singer because she's a very, very nice lady. What? We had good times. Yep. Thank you very much. <laughs> but Michael, we're not here to talk about my amazing singing career. Mm. We're here to talk about you and your new album, but also about your musical journey. Mm. You know, you are a, a musician who, you are British born. You are lagos raised but london raised too yes is that right that's correct both of them yeah and you currently live in brooklyn so that's definitely you know i try not to get too too dark with it but that's the triangle that a lot of us are familiar with Mm, mm, not mm. just historically in terms of our african-american brothers and sisters but also just in terms of the journey that we as immigrants or children of immigrants we tend to look to you know the uk or the us right as this place where the dreams can be made because of the history yeah because of the history right and so you know i'm talking to you from los angeles i'm a a ghana brit so i'm 
familiar with that triangle, right? But Michael, I just want to say I am super proud of you and really, really happy for you with this album, Lagos Pepper Soup. I was listening to it while I was having a stressed out moment <laughs> with my kids. We're trying to get them in the bath, trying to get everything calmed down. I said, let me listen. And it it's not a chill album <laughs> in that sense, but it did relax me. It really, really did. It's beautiful. Oh, so congratulations. Thank you very much. Really Really appreciate that. So you have called this album many things. You said that it's cinematic Afrobeat. What is that? Well, when I was making the project, I kind of wrote the album to be the soundtrack for a film that hasn't <laughs> been made. You know, so those kind of things were at the back of my mind. I also started working with some of Hollywood's top uh, film score arrangers and uh, orchestrators. A lot of them end up being my mentors, people like Joseph Joubert people like David Metzger, people like Jason Michael Webb. And basically the idea was to explore fusing Afrobeat, the traditional style by the late great Falakuti and Tony Allen, and mix that with the Hollywood soundtrack uh, sensibility or, or, or sound. That's why you know, I ended up saying that it was cinematic Afrobeat. Why did you want to mix those two things? You know, you are a London boy. I'm claiming yeah. you as a London boy. <laughs> claiming and me. You clearly... Yeah, I'm claiming you. <laughs> but but and you're like, yeah, no, I, I am who I am. I don't know you that well, so relax. It's okay. It's okay. But... You can claim me. You can claim me. I'm not, I'm not mad at that. I'm claiming you. <laughs> but you know, you have all of these broad influences, broad and wide and deep and, and whatever. So why Afrobeat and why Hollywood? Well, you know, I think it just reflects on the richness of my journey. You know, you know, if you draw it in a circle, I, I mean, I was born in London, but my first musical memories were in Nigeria. Well, let's go back a little bit. The album is called Lagos Pepper Soup because it's a, a tribute to my late mother, Comfort Bola Olatuja. Another reason why it's also important is because she owned two restaurants in Lagos, one in Ojodu and the other one in a place called Akiode. Now, it was at that restaurant, she would make many dishes, you know, jollof rice, moi moi and efo and all the traditional dishes and also pepper soup. So that's, that's for, for first of all, that's why the album is called Lagos Pepper Soup. Another reason why that's very important is because it was at that time, while we kind of lived in a restaurant that uh, got into music. So that f facilitated my musical interests and, and, and that began wait, wait, the journey. So, so, so you're saying that your food is connected to the music that was how you heard music that's how, how you heard music right being in your mum's restaurant yeah yeah it, so you have those visceral of course of course in the restaurant but also Nigerian parties you know where they're playing like King Sonia did they're playing uh, Fuji all the different styles that I, that I kind of grew up listening to there's always food and there's always music so <laughs> in a sense you kind of go back and forth between them so, so going back to your early thing it basically reflects my journey so I did Afrobeat because you know, Afrobeat comes from Nigeria and that kind of stuff. And I picked up, I mean, I mean, Afrobeat is a general term anyway, but, you know, I got into various Nigerian styles in Nigeria and then London, I got into jazz. You know, I studied jazz at Middlesex University, played with many jazz greats in, in London. And then, and then in New York, I got into musical theatres, you know, which kind of led me to make connections with film school orchestrators. So it's, it's all a circle. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. But no, you make a good point because as I was doing the research for this interview and I was thinking about, you know, how like everyone's like, oh, Angelique Kijo's on the album, which is amazing. And, you know, all of the many names are on the album. What struck me more was not that you got those people on the album, was that you getting them on the album 
actually spoke to me about your journey. Mm, Does that make yes, sense? Yes, yes. So for me, it's like, yeah, it's amazing. You have um, Laura Mvula on there and you have Lionel Lueke on there um, and you have Diane Reeves on there, right? So these greats on there, right? And so it would be easy, I think, and I certainly don't critique anyone who does that to be like, oh, he has all of these wonderful people who are featured on the album. Let's talk about mm-hmm. them. But what it made me think was, well, what was the journey that got you to know those people? Uh, Do you know what I mean? Uh, because you've played in all of these orchestras. Yeah. yeah. You have an interesting journey because I know you have an eclectic career. Yes. You have an eclectic life. Mm. Yeah. So I'm, I was more interested in your journey as a person and as a musician. Yeah. And I know it's a broad question. So let me see if I can narrow down on that. Right. But essentially, how would you describe your musical career? And how it reflects Michael's life. Still a big question, but I think it's I think it's interesting. I would describe my music career as one that has favor on it. I, I use the word favor or grace, but mm. definitely favor because you really don't know where things are gonna lead, but you just kind of take one step at a time, right? When you when people call you, if you're able to do it, you say yes and you do your best. And sometimes when you spend time with people, you build relationships, and then one thing leads to another. So. Um, the word that comes to mind, if, if I had to summarize it in, in one word, in terms of my musical career, I would say favor. Now, of course, there's a craft here. You know, bass playing is, is what I first and foremost do. So, of course, you sharpen that kind of stuff and, and you do your homework and you, and you grow. And there's a technicalities of that. But I think that, that most amazing musicians and my heroes understand that and they've worked very hard. But even after all that hard work, even after all the grinding, even after all the hours put in, I just feel like there's something kind of, some people can say divine or, or something that kind of orchestrates your, your kind of steps. When I look back, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. When I look back, I, I feel like, wow, okay, this led me to that. Then that led me to that. It all kind of makes sense. But at the time, you just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. So the, the word that comes to mind is favor. You got one of them instruments behind you. Could you could you do it now and show me how you do it, please? I'm picking up the instrument right now, but the thing is, uh, it's not plugged in. It's all right. So even if I did it, you won't be able to hear it. So sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm Ooh. doing I'm doing I'm doing the motions right now. <laughs> We're talking about favor, right? What was the defining moment for you? As a musician, what was the thing that kind of set things off at the beginning? There were quite a few defining moments. Let's just say I started in church, being a younger brother. So I, so I have an older brother called Alan, and, and he would play percussion. And I would literally just follow him to church and just kind of do whatever he did at five. And then that kind of carried on. And then um, I have a cousin in London who's an amazing musician and guitarist composer called Femi Temawa. And, and one defining moment I feel like was when his dad was really into jazz, people like George Benson and also Falakuti. F- Ooh, you said George Benson. Yeah, yeah. Boy, okay. So what Femi would do, my cousin Femi, he would bring these tapes in, in a home and say, oh, let's just check this stuff out. So I think that was a defining moment. You know, I would definitely credit my cousin Femi for, for getting me into jazz and, and kind of broadening my horizons to kind of look outside just the Nigerian styles. And this was in London? This was in London, around my teenage years, maybe 30, well, 13, 14, around, around that age. Femi would, you know, kind of, we used to have tapes back then. <laughs> I, hope I'm not, I hope I'm not dating myself, but... Um, and Femi would just bring these tapes 
moment and then we just copied the tapes. That was one defining moment, I, I feel. And you discovered the bass then? The bass was the instrument for you then? Yeah, I, I would say that the bass chose me because a couple of things happened. Firstly, the bass player in church kind of left when I was 13. This is the Nigerian church in London. I was his, his, his understudy, so I, I kind of filled in his shoes. And at the same time, there were three of us, myself, Femi and Alan. Alan is my, is my older brother. Femi is my cousin. We started by playing all the instruments. We wanted to be all-rounders. We, we, we call it back then, <laughs> jack of all trades. But then they kind of, Femi settled on guitar. My brother settled on drums. And then for us to even to hang together, it just made sense that I you know, went to the bass. So because of those things, I feel like the bass chose me. Oh, wow, amazing. So a technical question. I was listening to you playing and you begin the song, this on the Angelique Kijo song. Do you have a trademark move? I've got, I've got several, 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 you know, you know, it's, it's funny because thankfully I've been doing this for quite a while, playing guitar since I was 10 and bass since I was 13. I have the things that I, I do. I, I think we all have our little, you know, signature things. You know, I can think of a few, but I, I wouldn't say it's one. Yeah, it's, it's one of them, that thing I can't, it's like, a, I don't, you know, at the beginning of that, oh. Angelique, that's the only way I could describe it. I'm like, how, <laughs> how, how is he doing this thing? That's really, really funny. What is that called? And that's the only way I could describe it, my friend. <laughs> I was like, what is this thing? <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, so they're called hammer-ons and harmonics. Mm. since we're talking technically and those are the kind of things that I learned some, from some of my heroes you know I kept rewinding I was like how many fingers does a person have in order to be able to pull this thing off I don't understand that's hilarious alright let's go back to your childhood a little bit if you don't mind so you're London born yeah. and you're London raised yeah. right how big an influence has London as a city been to you and on you I think it was it was massive because of the people that I met in London. I mean, that's the thing. You can be a great hard working musician, but also your environment is also like 50% of it as well. And mm. I, I feel like, for example, when I studied at Middlesex University, I did my undergraduate at Middlesex University. Whilst I was in uni studying, I ended up playing with some UK jazz greats, but also, but in different mm. genres though. That's the thing about the, Lon like the London who? scene. People like the late Lyndon David Hall. Oh. You know, people like him. We went to Nigeria together. We toured together. People with like Lyndon David Hall. Yeah, the first time I went to, back to Nigeria after eight years old was with Lyndon David Hall when I was twenty-one. Wow! <laughs> so that people must like have been him. Intense. Yeah, it was. It was intense. Those are kind of people like Lisa Stansfield. People like Miss mm. Dana Mike. There's a whole bunch of UK people. Also, the Lighthouse family. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the Lighthouse family. We did some touring with them for at least a year. So there was a lot happening there. But then there's also the jazz stuff. You know, people like Julian Joseph, Jason Ribello, John Toussaint. So the kind of my time in London had a big impact on me and kind of shaped, I think, my, my career. Because there's so many different stuff happening in so many different worlds. And I felt like I, I was a part of different scenes. It helped in the end. How did it help? Like, tell me more about that. Because it informs you. For instance, I did a lot of Nigerian parties. So just kind of learning that kind of side of things. Sometimes we'd go to these Nigerian parties. We'd finish at 6 a.m. We'd get there like at... Wow. at, at, at 7, 6 p.m. And then, and then finished at 6 a.m. Were they functions for the parents or were they like our generation parties? I'm assuming it's for the parents yeah, because for, they for could the party parents. back in the day. Oh, it's it mostly for the parents. Woo. It was mostly for the parents. So that, that kind of stuff, uh, that teaches you a certain discipline. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of take, take all of it in and, and then when it's time to uh, create your own thing, 
those influences come out in some way, shape or form. The thing is, you try to make it uh, unique to yourself when you're creating the music. Yeah, and you can certainly hear that. Even when you listen to your first album, Speak, which came out in 2009, that felt to me very London. But I think it felt Mm. London to me because I'm African, I'm British. And so it felt, I felt seen. I felt hurt. Do you know what I mean? Like I, mm, all of these mm. things, the beats and the rhythms, even though I'm not Nigerian, but you know, we are, we are related essentially, right? Yes, uh, yes, Ghana and Nigeria. It felt very familiar to me at a time when things that represented what it meant to be black and British or African and live in the UK were rare to see or find. And so to kind of have this album in my hand and then hear these beats and then hear these London jazz bits to it and then hear these London accents was amazing to me. Can you talk a little bit about that process as well, Speak? Yeah. So let me just say say one thing. One thing that's a link between Speak and Lagos Pepper is that these albums were born from times of uh, difficulty and adversity. <laughs> yeah, per- okay. personally. And thus, I turned to the music for some kind of catharsis, some kind of some kind of healing, some kind of a way to get through it. So that's a connection between Speak and Lagos Pepper Soup. In fact, I would I would probably say that Lagos Pepper Soup is like Speak or growing up. <laughs> oh wow! Can I ask what the pain was, if you're willing to share? Oh yes, yes, yes. We can be real. Here's the thing: uh, around the age of 21, say three years before I, re- I started recording Speak, my mother passed away. Mm. My mother comfort brother Olatuja, and uh, that was devastating, as it would be de- devastating to so many people that have lost a parent. Um, for me, it was especially tough because I was very, very close to her. She really encouraged me in a way that I felt like was uncommon with Nigerian or African p- parents. Because a lot of parents would really try to kind of influence you to be a doctor, lawyer, accountant. Pharmacist. So, so you understand, you understand. <laughs> I do. Teacher. If you can't teacher, do those, whatever. then fine. We'll take but, teacher. We'll take teacher. You know, what's music? Music is, uh, you know, for the birds. You're playing. You're, you're playing. You're joking. <laughs> you're, you're, you're jesting. Yeah. <laughs> joking and jesting. <laughs> so, so from a young age, she was very influential in that sense, apart from being a great mother. She kind of really encouraged me. She, she helped me buy my first instruments. And she, for a Nigerian. That's major. Child of an immigrant. Yes. In London. That, that's, a, that's a big deal. So that was a, a massive loss in 2001. It, it's devastating because my dream, as so many people's dreams are or were, was to like give back to my mum after I graduated, after, you know, yes. when, when I grew up, you know. But she, she passed away before my brother and I graduated. You know, she, yeah. she, she, did, she didn't really get to see the fruits of, of her labour. Uh, that's mm. what I'm trying to say in short. So um, that was devastating. You know, so that was the kind of backstory to speak that was what was happening before speak. Uh, and um... As you all know, what you're saying is resonating with me, having just lost my own father, and we've talked about mm. this offline. Yes. And so just you talking about the catharsis. Yes, I'm yes. very much feeling that because I too, in the way that you were close to your mum, I was very close to my dad. You yes. know, I look like him. I hear, I have his personality. I, we definitely share, share the sense of humour. And so... I'm in a similar space where I'm I'm being quite productive and I've Mm. asked myself, is it because of the loss? And it is. There's a big part of it because it's cathartic. You you go to the thing that you are, don't you? Mm. It's music or it's writing or or whatever. And you find the catharsis in it. And then all of a sudden these other things happen and you go, ah, you weren't quite quite there to to see that. We're so close. Yeah, yeah. You were so close, but so, close. Uh, so no, I, I'm recognizing that and needing to hear it actually and wow, kind of be like, wow. okay, yeah. So yes. I appreciate that. 
Oh, you're welcome. It's, the loss of a parent is very, very tough. Mm. Period. But when you're very close, it, it, yes. it's, it's definitely a thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss too. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But then you say that Lagos pepper soup is speak or grown up. So you, th- you're going through a period of catharsis then. As well, as, as well, basically, uh, I, I was mourning the loss of a relationship, you know, a relationship that was for many years. And it was one of those periods where you feel like the bottom falls out, you know, when everything you hold on to disappears. <laughs> mm, mm. And what now? You know, who Ooh, are you? What now? Is there a future? <laughs> you know, will I get through this tunnel? I mean, these are the things that I felt like I, I was going through when just before we started recording Lagos pepper soup. Actually, things were so, so tough. Emotionally, thankfully, I had a good support structure with family and friends. But yeah. things were tough, were so tough that I actually cancelled the first sessions of Lagos pepper soup. Goodness. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You were, sca- you were in the grief deep. I was definitely in a tough place. So much so that I'd already booked, I booked the, like, the sessions six months early and then cancelled it uh, a couple of weeks before because I just felt like I couldn't go through with, with it. And it was actually some of the musicians on Lagos Pepper Soup that, was, that said, you know what, maybe this is, this is what you need. Maybe you should just go through it. Maybe, maybe this is what you need for your healing. And after some musicians spoke to me, I kind of rescheduled those days as in it was back on. That's how we went into the first recording sessions for that in August of uh, 2015. Amazing. And yet the album's called A Celebration of Life. So it must, you found your way through somehow, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because, okay, so it's two things there. And another thing is, I tried to kind of picture my older self talking to my yeah. younger self. So when you think of the lyrics to Lagos Pepper Soup, apart from it celebrating life, you know, the lyrics to that song, it's, it's also like an older person talking to the younger self. And yes, you're in that pain, you know, but the older person is basically saying that, you know, in that, in that space, in that very space of pain and uncertainty, that joy can come out of it. Yes. That's, that's where you need to be. That very place that's painful right now, that that very dark tunnel, is going to propel you into your destiny. To listen to more episodes and to find out more about The Cypher and how we support creators in the real world, and to sign up for our newsletter, visit our website. It is thecypherpod.com. You're talking about uncertain times and uncertainty and pain, and goodness knows the world is in... A world of pain right now. Yes. You're talking about this older person talking to this younger person, but essentially you're talking about wisdom and the learning. Yes. And yes. in some ways, this album must feel really appropriate in terms of the themes because we're dealing with several global pandemics of yeah. racism and COVID. Yeah. And here you are, Brit Nigerian, living in the US, connecting these dots in the way that you do and looking at the world. And you must be scratching your head. But in the way that you are, talking to your younger self and yeah. and saying that this is a moment in which effectively the pain that you're going through is a moment in which you can flourish. Yes. Do you see that moment for the world specifically right now in terms of race in particular, in terms of how we're having this conversation about race and culture and how we value each other specifically, do you see any hope? Well, well, let's talk about what's happening now. I mean, I mean, you know, we have a global pandemic, and then we have the issue of race you know, being brought to the forefront and on the table, which it should be, which it should be, because you know, for too long, it's been kind of not discussed. And if you don't discuss the things, you know, then I guess things will continue as as the status quo. 
quo. So we have that happening. And do I see any hope? You know, you know this, this is what I say. There's a commentator, uh, an activist, and a TV personality called Van Jones. He's amazing, and I, yep. I, I, I like to listen. To, he's not, he's not British. I feel like what he says applies to the whole world. And he said something, you know, that I'm going to paraphrase. He said, you know, you know, some, sometimes a breakdown can lead to a breakthrough. So look, we have this pandemic, and we have the issue of, of race. But sometimes things do need to break down. Sometimes. You know, we all, as a human race, need to be humbled, you know, even if it's painful. You know, not that anybody deserves anything negative. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, in order to make sense of what's going on right now, you know, you know, need to just look within and, and, and see where we've, as a human race, all races, all colours, look within and see where we can do better. Mm. You know, so the thing I would say is, I would echo what Van Jones says which is sometimes a breakdown can lead to a breakthrough. And that's my hope, you know, because, because yeah, my, my hope is for, is for it to lead for a breakthrough. And, and I think the breakthrough will come through discussion, through, through talking about it, finding solutions that unite races. How do you think things look in the UK context? And as a, you know, as a Londoner, and we are probably the same age, you talked about tapes, and I know what tapes are, so you aged both of us. <laughs> but, you know, as you growing up in London... You know, there were certain things that absolutely happened. Racism absolutely existed. Bias absolutely existed. Yeah. You know, you were the child of immigrants. I can speak for myself. I know my parents had to work extra hard at certain yeah. points in, in my life, you know, mm. just to make sure mm. that they were able to support me in my dream because that was the reason why they were there, even though there were times when they were so desperate to go back home. These are not things that are necessarily talked about. Yes, um, yes. And they're not even necessarily being talked about now because we're only scratching the surface because we're dealing with racism and colour, mm. you know, effectively, who have we missed out? So when you look at the UK, where do you see the discussion on race being? And mm. what kind of work do you think we need to do in order to push through to that breakdown so we can have the breakthrough? Well, well, let me just say, talk about what I've seen. As a young Nigerian British youth in, in the UK, I was stopped by police. You know, you know, I was stopped by police on my way to church. You know, I, was, I remember being on the bus in Camberwell, you know, on the way to, to Wednesday night service in church. And the police told me to get off the bus and, and then they searched me. And, and I, was, I was a teenager at the time, it, but I knew enough from people and just from being aware that when the police stop you, you just, you can't mouth off, you can't be seen to get angry, you can't to just kind of do what they say, otherwise it would get worse. So those kind of things I went through as a kid and I think it was a ra racial profiling. I wasn't about to argue with the police then. It's, t it's, it's tough in the UK and I know that people have gone through worse. But, but my thing growing up anyway was that, okay, this is there. Uh, racism is there. Racial profiling is there. It, it's, it's definitely there. My parents and my mum experienced it. Maybe it's the survival instinct. The thing necessarily wasn't to change it growing up. But the thing was, how could I survive? <laughs> and how can I get through? And I think it helped that I did music, to be honest. I really think it did because in, in music, music kind of cuts across race. Somehow music just kind of communicates to different people. You know, some people say it's a universal language and I, and I really believe that. And so I would even say that I, I had it easy growing up or easier than, than my fellow peers. I could ask you a million questions, but before we end, I want to see if you would want to say a few words about Thai who we lost earlier this year. 
you worked with him on Speak. What are the tracks on there, you know, feature him? And I love it to bits. I think it is Speak, isn't it? Yes. The album is called Speak and the track is called Speak featuring Ty. Can you tell me how you got together with him on that track and maybe share one of, uh, share a memory for people who are listening and talk about what he meant to you? Because I think he's, you know, one of the most influential, one of the most important musicians, black British musicians. And he did a lot for so many people. And I want to take a moment to remember him. Um, yeah. What can I say about Ty? Well, let me just go back and say that I met him at the time of recording uh, Speak. I was working with an amazing British singer and songwriter called Eska Mutungwazi. She's from Zimbabwe. She's a great friend and sister of mine. But at that time, we were writing, she co-wrote quite a few of the songs on Speak. We were looking for a rapper and an artist to kind of come and rap on it. And she suggested Ty because she'd been working with Ty at the time. And so I met Ty, and of course he's Nigerian, and we talked, and, and we got on well. We, you know, we kind of understood each other, and Ty was very passionate about his music. And he really liked what I was doing. He actually wrote that rap, the rapping that you hear on, on he wrote it down. And um, he came to the studio, he kind of, he was feeling the groove. That song actually was also written by Femi Tamoa, so it was myself, I believe Femi Tamoa, my cousin in London, and Ty. So the three of us wrote that song, Speak. And Ty came and he, he was amazing in the studio and we just got along and that was kind of the beginning of the, of the relationship. I saw Ty as a, as a kind of big brother. You talk about a memory. So we did this like in 2004, you know, just before I came to New York. So fast forward to 2009 when Speak comes out, you know, I organized uh, um, a tour in, in, in Europe for, for that December. And then I asked Ty to come to the jazz cafe in London. So Ty came, did his thing. And, and Ty, you know, I love Ty. I used to love Ty's energy. He did his thing. And one particular memory. So we finished the gig now. Here's the thing. Um, when I was younger, I was painfully shy. <laughs> I was really painfully shy. I remember going to the dressing room or just kind of just, even though I could play in front of audiences, I can play in front of the TV or do what I had to do. But just as a person, I was quite shy. <laughs> And I remember after the gig, kind of go into the dressing room and and I remember Ty coming to me saying, come, come, come and take this picture. There's a lady called Siobhan and, and Siobhan was the kind of official jazz cafe photographer. So all, all the stars that come to the jazz cafe, she would take the pictures. Ty, Ty was like, come on. She, he was, he was, Ty said to me, you know what? Whenever you're jazz cafe, you're in jazz cafe and Siobhan take the, takes the picture, you must do it. So he made me know it was a thing. <laughs> you know, right. so, so he kind of cajoled me or kind of dragged me, you know, to take this picture. And so there's this picture with myself and Ty standing on the jazz cafe stairs and, and we're both looking up into the light. <laughs> so when I think of a memory, I just think of what Ty did. That was, that was basically who he was. He was like a big brother. He was very positive and he kind of poured into my vision and he was very encouraging. And he had, no, he had yeah. a lot of knowledge as well. That's the thing. He was very knowledgeable. We'll definitely miss Ty. We'll miss him, but hopefully, you know, in whichever ways we can, we continue to honor him and and uh, his memory and what he did. You know, he gave he gave us a lot. He really, really did. Michael, this was a really lovely interview. Is there anything else you'd like to add or tell our listeners? Well, I mean, if they want if they want to head Lagos Pepper Soup, since we've been talking about it, they can get it everywhere online. If they want to follow me, they can follow up. Twitter, Michael Alatujan, and also uh, Instagram. You, you know, so those are just some ho housekeeping things. Yeah, <laughs> that, absolutely. I, that I can say. And, and, and the last thing is basically, thank you for the opportunity to be on this uh, interview with you. Oh, uh, Michael, it's, it's my pleasure. I 
I'm a fan of yours as a person. We don't, we haven't talked in a while, but I remember our conversations and I was really excited when you agreed to come on and I love what you do. I, I, I look and follow you on the internet. Or, and oh. I'm just like, and I like, yeah, he's amazing. And I look forward to the day when I can actually talk to you face to face again, again, about your next wonderful project. Michael Olatuja, musician, composer, incredible bassist who does the thing with the 10 fingers. I don't understand how you do it. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on Deciphered. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on Deciphered. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Michael Olatuja. You know, it's often in our rawest moments that we reveal what we're trying to do. And I say this because back then, I didn't realize how raw I was feeling at the time. All I knew is that I wanted to do something to tell a story because I'm a storyteller and do something to honor my father because he had a story that I wanted the world to know as well. I wanted to create a space for people like my father and like myself and like Michael and and so many others in the diaspora to talk about their talents and to share their story. And looking back, what I didn't know was that this podcast really was the perfect way to show the world what Cypher was really about. It wasn't just about speaking to creatives about the work that they do. It really was about looking at their emotions, the emotionality behind it. And it really was about really understanding the raw truth behind what it was each of these individuals was trying to express because the world would often tell them that their story really didn't matter so thank you so much for listening we have one more show for you one more rewind for you to listen to and it's a good one this one is with tonya mosley she is an award-winning journalist and the host of the award-winning podcast truth be told we have a new season coming in april It's going to be amazing and we are excited for you to listen to that. To listen to more episodes and to find out more about the cipher and how we create supporters in the real world and to sign up for our newsletter, visit our website. It is thecypherpod.com. Our production team includes Cerise Small, Larissa Witcher, Ty Hughes and Eugene Kidd. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Christabel Nsiabwadi. The Cypher is a production of MyLens Media, Inc.